0: We're three weeks into Advent, and one of the things I love about this time of year, as I'm sure many of you do as well, are the special celebratory things we do to announce the coming of Christmas. You know, all the sights and smells and tastes I mean, the dreamy, colorful, twinkling lights, the white dusting of snow, even if it's fake in Southern California, the scent of pine and wood burning on the fireplace the spice and chew of gingerbread, spoonfuls of sweet, sticky sugar sugar cookie batter. Oh my gosh, I'm getting hungry right now. Man. And then, of course, there's the sounds of Christmas. Sleigh bells ring, little drummers drum, nutcrackers crack, angels call forth for the heavens and for nature to sing. I mean, whether it's the traditional carols of the season, some of which we enjoyed this morning, or the more modern, timeless classics, how could we celebrate Christmas without music? In the midst, though, of all the things we love about this time of year, I don't know about you, but I can find myself overwhelmed again and again every year by the list of things that I believe I have to accomplish to make Christmas merry and bright. You know, getting the best deals on all my gift purchases, including free shipping. (laughs) Creating the perfect Christmas card, complete with the right photo or image. Pulling off a Christmas party or dinner that's just as good, if not better, than last year's. The list goes on and on of all the things that we try to do to make Christmas happen. But somewhere along the way in all of that, there can be this disconnect between the reason we have for celebrating Christmas and how we prepare to do so. And as we turn today to the book of Hebrews, the writer of this letter is well aware of our human tendency for our focus to drift. Because this isn't just a problem that we have to wrestle with at Christmas time; It's a challenge we face with every season of our lives. By this point, I hope you have the scripture open to you. Let's hear from the book of Hebrews chapter 2. It reads, we must pay careful attention, the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. So that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the holy spirit distributed according to his will and this is the word of the lord thanks be to god so if you haven't been with us these last 2 weeks through a breathtaking display of old testament theology the first chapter of this letter established the superiority of christ over any any human or divine messenger jesus we are told is much more than a human prophet or a heavenly angel. He is the son of God. And with the start this morning of the next chapter, the writer urges us to pay careful attention to what we have heard from these messengers, particularly the angels. As the writer speaks, it's a little bit cryptic of the message spoken through the angels. This is actually referring to the giving of the law, Last week, I mentioned how in early Judaism, angels were associated with the giving of the Torah, the Mosaic law back on Mount Sinai. And what the writer is referring to is how then the message of the law was direct and simple. And if you haven't read Deuteronomy in a while, the message of the law was direct and simple. Follow these God-given instructions for humanity to live as it was created to be, and you are choosing life. Ignore these divine rules for living, for flourishing together as God intended, and you are choosing death. The point being made here is a sobering one. The author is basically telling us, remember what happened as the people ignored that word from the Lord. Every violation and disobedience brought tragedy and destruction. More than this, Israel's failure to keep the law through the story of the Old Testament shows us that rebelling and rejecting God wasn't just an Adam and Eve problem. Something isolated to the garden. Many of us have this hang up of, man, Adam and Eve messed it up for all of us. Man, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. And the whole story of the Old Testament, amongst other things, is living proof. You know what? It's not an Adam and Eve problem. It's not just something isolated to the garden. The problem of sin isn't their problem. The problem of sin is our problem. All of us together are broken and deeply flawed, deserving of death because of our disobedience, because of our flaws, and unable to help ourselves. And the writer is declaring here, if the giving of that word from the Lord, the law, exposes our vulnerability as well as the condemnation we deserve, then how can we dare ignore the word of our salvation that comes from Christ? And something I want to make sure is perfectly clear here is the author is not talking about two different messages being received that contrast with each other. And oftentimes when we think about the message of the Old Testament and the message of the New, we create this false dichotomy that the Old Testament was the first word given by God of judgment and then God had a personality makeover and decided to give us a word of grace in the New Testament. The writer here makes no reference to two messages, only one. Only one message is being referred here. It's one message in two parts. The first part of the message, again, was the law, the way, the truth, and the life we were created for. We were meant to experience but cannot because of our self-imposed disconnect and separation from our creator. The second part of the message is the gospel, the way, the truth, and the life becoming flesh of God in Christ coming down in person, not only to show us the kind of life we are missing. When we look to Jesus, when we see Jesus, we see the kind of life we are missing. But not only that, Jesus comes to bridge that disconnect between all of us and the Lord to close that separation between heaven and earth. So again, If the first half of the message message expressed through the giving of the law, of our brokenness, of our need is so undeniably clear, how can any of us dare ignore the even better second half of the message of unmerited forgiveness and complete healing, of resurrection and everlasting life? The writer is saying here is if through our apathy, apathy or indifference, we refuse to receive something even greater, more important, more powerful than the law, more than God's rules for life, then perhaps if we refuse to accept it, if we ignore so great a salvation, then perhaps the Lord will conclude we aren't really interested in what we're being offered, in being rescued, in being redeemed, in being set free. And the consequence of such willful ignorance Such outright denial of the true message of Christmas, again, of so great a salvation, will be more than finding a lump of coal in our stocking. Very important you get this. The writer is not saying, nowhere biblically will we see this. God doesn't do a gift exchange. God doesn't play take backs with us. What God has given us in Christ, the Lord has given freely and without condition, What's being talked about here is not God taking something away, but in the end, God evaluating our reception of the gift, his gift, to and for us, based upon whether we've opened it, whether we've played with it or not. Again, we do that at Christmas, right? You can tell the gifts that people really like because they're the ones that get opened. They're the ones that get used. You ever give somebody a gift, come over to the house and see it still unopened, sitting somewhere? Oh, I just loved it. Really? It's just sitting there. You didn't open it. You haven't used it. Oh, I'm just waiting for the perfect moments. The gifts that aren't open, the gifts that aren't used, are the gifts that we don't really receive, the gifts that we really don't care about. The consequence of our willful ignorance in that way isn't that God takes away what he's given. We don't worship that kind of God. God doesn't practice any take-backs, no gift exchange. The consequence of our willful ignorance of ignoring so great a salvation is God saying, okay, you made your bed, now lie in it. If this is what you wanted, if this is what you claimed instead of grace, then you will receive exactly where self-made righteousness and personal autonomy take you. If we say, you know what, thank you so much for the gift, but we prefer our own personal autonomy, we prefer our own self-made righteousness, then what we will confront is the consequence that Ebenezer Scrooge confronted, you remember Ebenezer Scrooge? Who was content to live his life as a covenous covetous old sinner. Indifferent towards his fellow man. And in repeated denial of the mercy, the forgiveness, and compassion of Christ. And where did he find himself at the end of that long strange night being visited by three ghosts of his past, present, and future? Staring into the yawning darkness of a grave with his name on it. If we ignore so great a message, so great a salvation as this, it is not that God takes it away. It's God says, well, if you don't want that, then you clearly must want this. Therefore, that's why the writer is so urgent, encouraging us to pay more careful attention to what we have heard, to pay careful attention to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And here in the second chapter of this letter, right from the start, we have another example And there's several references in the Bible like this to the importance of hearing. And all of these passages taken together about hearing remind us that we encounter a God who is not silent, but a God who has something to say to us, something important, something life-altering and world-changing, something that we must not ignore or take for granted. We call it good news, the gospel, right? But did you ever think about this? Good news is only good when it's accepted in place of bad news. If you're still living out of the bad news, then it's not good news to you. It's good news when it replaces the bad news that you've embraced about your own life, your own situation. So what the author is saying here and talking about hearing is that our reception of what the Lord is saying to us cannot be limited to the merely physiological act of hearing a sound that enters the ear. And we've talked about this in previous sermons, but just as a quick reminder, biblically, the call to listen to Shema is not just the call to hear. It's the call to give full attention and adherence to the word of God. And at Christmas time, we are reminded that that word of God becomes flesh, With the birth of Jesus, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the message of the good news of joy and glad tidings for all people is delivered by the king, from the king, in person. Our designer and our creator shows up on our doorstep. That's what the writer goes on to tell us. What we believe, we don't believe myths and legends about Jesus. The story of Christmas that brings us together isn't some marshmallow, saccharine, hallmark fantasy. The message, this story which begins in a manger and leads to a cross and ends with an empty tomb is confirmed, as the writer exclaims, by those who heard him through credible eyewitnesses. And if this isn't enough validation for the skeptic or the doubter, the writer goes on to state, we know that it was God in Christ speaking because through speaking, Jesus caused things to happen. Signs, wonders, and various miracles of healing, of liberation, of redemption, of overturning death itself that happened not for their own sake, but in order to point to something, to point to someone, to attest and validate God's presence and work in and through Jesus. The word came with power, and that word that came with power, the writer goes on, also empowers those who follow this word, those who follow Jesus. Notice in this last verse how the writer includes the presence and energy of the Holy Spirit, something we looked at this fall, as part of the evidence of the truth of the incarnation, of God in Christ with us and for us. The work and gifts of the Holy Spirit we are given are, again, not given as an end unto themselves for our personal private enjoyment or boasting. The empowerment and transformation we can experience in Christ through the Spirit is intended to be a reflection of the truth of the gospel, to point others to the living reality of Jesus in their own lives. So that's the scoop. That's what the writer has to say. And in line with what the writer started with, I ask us, in light of all this, how well have we paid attention to what we've heard? After all these years, some of you have got several After all these years of listening to sermons, to Bible studies from your devotional time in the Bible, have we truly heard the gospel? Let's see. Let's try a little thought experiment. This past week, I asked a random sampling of people the following two questions. In your own head, let's see if your answers match theirs. The first question is, what is the reason for the season? And in your head, you all probably answered Jesus. Everyone I asked gave this answer. What is the reason for the season? Jesus, I know this one. Because after all, in the last few decades, this has become one of our hallmark Christmas slogans developed in response to the commercialization of Christmas. Everybody knows Jesus is the reason for the season. We wear it, we tell it, it's all over the place. But here's the second question What is the gift of Christmas? The answers I got to this were varied. The answers I got to this were, oh, the gift of Christmas is salvation. The gift of Christmas is forgiveness. The gift of Christmas is the cross. The gift of Christmas is the resurrection. The gift of Christmas is new life. No, no, the gift of Christmas is eternal life. The gift of Christmas is love. The gift of Christmas is grace. The gift of Christmas is hope. The gift of Christmas is freedom. Maybe you had a similar answer. Maybe you had a different answer. But what's interesting to me is the answer to the two questions should be the same. If we've paid close attention, like the writer tells us to, to what we've heard, to the gospel, then the answer to what is the gift of Christmas is always and only Jesus. Now, We're all like, yeah, we say Jesus is the reason for the season. You're right. We all say Jesus is the reason for the season. But what I'm pushing at is that functionally, practically, even though with our mouths we say Jesus is the reason for the season, we think and we talk about the gift of Christmas being all the things Jesus does for us. But if you stop and think about it, God could have provided all of the above without coming down and making a personal visit to us. I mean, it's not beyond God to be able to do all of those things without showing up on our doorstep. Given all the resources at his disposal, the Lord could have devised some other means to deliver forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. And yet, what are we celebrating? Christmas is the beginning of an incredible revelation that we worship a God who isn't content to just do everything for us but who passionately longs to be with us in person, in relationship, taking up residence in our hearts and minds, living in us and guiding us home. My friends, the gift of Christmas, the heart of the gospel is Jesus. The most famous scripture that everyone knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his forgiveness that he gave eternal life, that he gave salvation, that he gave love, that he gave hope, that he gave grace, that he gave the cross, that he gave the resurrection. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if we listen carefully, if we pay attention Whenever we look in the Gospels and listen to the life of Jesus, we witness his repeated declaration that he is sharing, that he is enacting, and ultimately being the Father's gift to us. In every miracle, with every parable, simply by being in the world at all, Jesus is proclaiming, God is good. God loves you. God desires to be with you. God loves giving. God is giving himself to you through me. And I'm here, among other things, to prove it. Salvation, grace, second chances, new and everlasting life, freedom, hope. All of these things, of course, they are wonderful. They are wonderful. And, of course, God gives them as well. But all of them are given through Jesus. Scour The letters of the New Testament. Why would we have the letters of the New Testament? The letters of the New Testament are the first Christians who are reflecting upon the gospel. What just happened? What did did we just get? And if you scour the letters of the New Testament like this one, writings will reflect upon what we have been given. They'll continually talk about what we've been given. And you'll absolutely find mention of all these gifts that we talk about. Salvation, eternal life, everlasting life. All these gifts, and then some. Gifts like adoption and justification. However, if we look closely, if we listen carefully, all of it in every letter, all of it that's listed, everything points back to the first and greatest gift of God, Jesus Christ. In fact, the apostle Paul perhaps said it best when he wrote in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Graciously give us all things. My friends, it may be simple but it, and subtle, but it's true. Jesus is the greatest gift of Christmas. Jesus is the greatest gift there is. Everything else we treasure, everything else we treasure is possible can be most assuredly ours because of the God who truly seeks to be with us and for us, not just in words, but in the flesh. Even though Christ is at the root of Christmas, even though we tell ourselves and each other Jesus is the reason for the season, how is it that we so often lose sight or forget the greatest gift we have been given? And I don't know if you caught it, but the writer of this letter answers this question as well. He does it with a single word, drift. Beware of drifting away, he writes. And drift is nautical imagery, right? Nautical imagery. Drift is what happens when one sits in a boat and chooses not to row or to set sail or to engage the motor. Not to row, not to set sail, not to engage the motor is to drift. It's to find one's boat being caught and carried by the prevailing current of the water. If we apply this imagery to daily life, to drift is to just go with the flow. To drift is to just simply be along for the ride. But direction matters. Float aimlessly through life and you'll find yourself carried by any current or stream. And the thing about drift is drift is initially usually imperceptible. We're just slightly off course. But just being a little off course will end up taking you a long way off from where you wanted to be. All of us in this room, if you think about it, I imagine, all of us in this room started in the same place. Right, We all started embracing Christ as our Lord and Savior, seeking to follow him as the pilot of our lives by receiving the Holy Spirit as our navigator and the Bible as our compass. We all started in the same place. But out on the waters of everyday life, are we moving forward in faith, actively rowing, setting sail, engaging our motor, or are we just aimlessly floating here and there, every which way? Remember where this started. Remember what the author talked about. Hearing. Hearing, once again, is more than audible perception. Hearing is believing, obeying, and submitting. Are we hearing? Are we believing? Are we obeying? Are we submitting to Jesus? Or are we charting our own course for our lives? Especially at this time of year. Man, man it can be easy for us to just float by and miss Jesus. Especially at this time of year, we can just float by and miss Jesus. And we miss, can miss receiving the gift of Christ because we're so busy looking and searching for other gifts under the tree. Has that, is that what Jesus has become for you? I mean, be honest this morning. Has Jesus become for you like that pair of socks we all get for Christmas, but we quickly toss aside with indifference? You ever have that happen when you get socks when you were a kid and your parents are like, hey, hey, wait a second, pick that up. Those are socks. That's a good gift. You should be grateful for that. And you have to be talked into being grateful. Yeah, okay, thanks for the socks. Is Jesus just another pair of socks? Are we so focused about getting what we want for Christmas Truth time now, are we so focused on getting what we want for Christmas in our lives the way we want it that we're ignoring what we have received, who we have received, the one who is the friend, the advocate, the savior we need? Because my friends, Christmas isn't about a God who asks us what we want Christmas isn't about a God who, like Santa Claus, may or may not bring us what we want. Christmas is about the God who comes down to us in Christ, even when we didn't want him, even when we rejected him. Christmas is about the God who comes to us anyway to give us exactly what we need. This may shock you. This might freak you out. But we don't need to be saved. We don't need to be forgiven. We don't need eternal life. We want to be saved. We want to be forgiven. We want everlasting life. But my friends, all we need is Jesus. It's not about what we want. It's about, it's not even about what we need. It's about who we need. And Jesus Christ is who we need. Jesus is who we need to pay attention to to listen to and follow, to look to and rely upon, to represent and reflect to others. It's not about what I want to say. It's about what Jesus is seeking to say through me. It's not about what I want to do. It's about how Jesus is purposing to direct me to work in and through me. It's not about what I want to receive. It's about where and to whom Jesus is calling me to give. And through that act of giving, in whatever form it takes, to share And point to him. I don't know if you're like me. But we can get so fixated. This time of year. On getting others what they want for Christmas. Is that what fixates you? What do they want for Christmas? We're so concerned about. What do other people want for Christmas? Rather than focusing on what the people around us need. Jesus is who everyone needs. Do you believe that? Jesus is who everyone needs. And Christ has come for all of us. But here's the thing. We don't have to give people Jesus. And I think that's part of the disconnect for us. We think, yes, I agree, pastor. Everybody needs Jesus. So I'm going to give them Jesus. And we smother them with Jesus. Here's a Bible. Here's a verse. Here's some prayers. Here's some evangelism. We smother them because we got to give them Jesus. We don't need to give anybody Jesus because Jesus has already given himself to each and every one of us. We have to give people around us what they need. They need to give them the one they need in Jesus by letting Christ work through us. By letting Christ work through us. You want to get the people in your life what they need this Christmas, the one they need in Jesus Christ? Don't give them a Bible. Don't give them a verse. Don't give them a really religious Christmas card. Don't give them a platitude of I'm praying for you. I really hope that you come around. You want to give people who they need this Christmas? You want to give them Jesus? Then let Christ work through you. You want to give people who they need this Christmas? Then extend a needed word of forgiveness. I can look around this room and I know that you have someone in your life, at least one person in your life, who needs to be forgiven, who is waiting for that word of forgiveness. And maybe you're struggling right now because you're like, I don't want to forgive them. And again, I say to you, it's not about what you want. It's about what they need. And you don't have to forgive them, but what you can do is you can tell them that Christ forgives them. You can extend that word of forgiveness. You want to give people who they need this Christmas? then make a needed movement towards reconciliation. One of the things that makes Christmas blue is many of us are alone, and the reason why many of us are alone at Christmas is because there was some big fight some years ago, decades, people don't even remember what it was about, and we don't get together as families, or we don't get together as friends. We don't talk about them. We send them a Christmas card, you know, the bare minimum, but there's this brokenness. You want to give people who they need this Christmas? Then let Jesus work through you, and you make that move by the Spirit, that needed move of reconciliation. To pick up that phone, to knock on that door, and say, "Let's. This is stupid. Let's talk again. Let's get together again. Let's just put it, let's just Forget whatever that was about." You want to give people who they need this Christmas. Let Jesus work through you by expressing a needed message of love and acceptance. We all have people in our lives who are struggling to believe that they are loved struggling to believe that they can be loved for a variety of reasons, betrayal, rejection, heartbreak, all of it. They're struggling to know they're accepted for who they are. You want to give someone who they need this Christmas, forget the socks or anything else you're going to buy and give that person, let Jesus work through you to say, I love you. I love you and I accept you, I embrace you, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, you're my mom, my dad, whoever it is, you are with me and I am with you and I am with you and you're with me because Christ is with us. You wanna give the people, people around you who they need this Christmas? Then offer a needed gesture of compassion and self-sacrifice. Don't just exchange gifts but actually say, see the pain and suffering of another person and say, you know what? Even though it may, I'm going to take from me, from what I have, if that's going to help them, then I'm going to give to them. And you're not doing it out of your own power. You're not doing it for your own glory. When someone says, why are you doing this? Why are you sacrificing in this way? Why are you helping me? That's your moment to say, I'm doing that because that's what Jesus has done for me, and that's what Christ wants to do to you through me. Now, oh my gosh, can I just give him a check? Can I just give him a rep gift? Yeah, it's cleaner, it's easier, Sure. But if you want to give people who they need, then let Christ work through you. These are the ways, and there's so many others. We can give others what they need, how we can share and point them to Jesus. But in order to do that, Jesus has to be the greatest gift that you've received ever in your life. Jesus has to be. The person, the relationship has to be the greatest gift. And the thing is, wise men still seek him. I can't stand Jesus is the reason for the season that is so overplayed, but I love wise men still seek him. It should be more wise people still seek him so we can include everybody, right? But if you you ever think about this part of the story, I mean, this is very compelling to me. That's why I like this, this particular slogan. At the time leading up to the birth of Christ, if we were to go back in a time machine, at the time leading up to the birth of Christ, you would find astrologers and astronomers in virtually every city and cultural center throughout the known world at that time. Astronomers and astrologers who were regularly tracking and interpreting the movements of the night sky. Think about that, the sheer numbers of people, that was their job. But we know that sometime preceding Jesus' birth, a sign appeared in the heavens, right? But of the thousands upon thousands of astrologers and astronomers, only one select group from the east, near Babylon of all places, saw the sign and paid attention to what they had heard. What had they heard? A prophecy of old, a message of salvation to be delivered through the king of the Jews. All the rest, we're all looking at the same sky, mind you, either completely missed this sign or ignored it altogether. The announcement was broadcast in the heavens for the world to see, but history shows only one small caravan of magi followed the star and made the long journey to Bethlehem. They never drifted, From their course, even when they were enticed and tempted, do you remember? Even when they were enticed and tempted, they never drifted from their course because they continued to intently look for Jesus, to follow not just the star, but the word and the spirit that was leading them to right where they needed to be, finding Christ. And you remember this story, when they found him, what did they do in response? They worshiped. They worshiped not salvation, not eternal life, not forgiveness, not love, not grace, not the cross, not the resurrection. They worshiped Jesus. Heaven came down to earth in the quiet cool of the night, unassumingly in this obscure, ordinary shepherd town of Bethlehem. And while the rest of the world went on with business as usual, only those who paid attention to what they heard Only those who aligned the trajectory of their lives to the direction provided by heaven above received the greatest gift ever given to humanity. Wise persons still seek him. The unwise, on the other hand, are too busy, too distracted, or can't be bothered. It's rough, but the question this morning is, which are you? Wise or unwise? Sometimes the most precious and sacred things are right in front of us in plain sight, but we cannot or will not see them. Jesus isn't born in a manger anymore in Bethlehem. That happened a long time ago, but Jesus is being born somewhere anew in your life, in your family, in your relationships, in your circle. Jesus is seeking to be born anew. Are you looking for him? Are you listening? Because it's so easy I'm confessing as much as I'm preaching right now, people. It's so easy to get lost in our own pursuits. It's so easy to get lost in the day-to-day grind. It's not hard to find ourselves drifting, becoming so focused on ourselves. My gosh, why is it all I can ever think about is me? Getting so focused on what I want, so focused on my little world, so focused on the role I've been given in the play that I can't see the one, the Christmas play, the Christmas story is all about. My friends, the greatest gift of Christmas is not forgiveness. It is the one who clears all that red ink on our collective ledger by bearing the burden of all of our deficits, the one who pays that spiraling debt we cannot cover in our bankruptcy and sets us free. The greatest gift of Christmas is not salvation. It's the one, the only one who could possibly mount such a cosmic rescue operation. Who could save us from ourselves and the ultimate consequence of all of our brokenness and chaos that we leave in our wake. The greatest gift of Christmas is not eternal life. It is the one who descends into the greatest darkness we all deny and fear and ruptures the perceived final silence of the grave with the light of resurrection, his light of everlasting life, which the darkness cannot overcome. The greatest gift of Christmas is not the gospel. It is the one who is the reason there is news and that that news is good, good for us, Good for all the world. May we have ears to hear that this story is so much bigger than ourselves. That this story offers us so much more than holiday cheer. Let us pay close attention as we witness in our lives, in our relationships, in our world, something beautiful, something remarkable being born anew. The word of God made flesh. Jesus god in christ with us and for us and then oh let us come let us come and adore him amen